Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Poliafito, and I'm pleased to have with me today Dr. Stephen Yeh, who is the Trulson Chair of Ophthalmology and Director of the Retina Service at the Trulson Eye Center at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. Steve, welcome back to Retina Synthesis. Carmen, thanks again. It's great to be here on this uh, fantastic program, and I think hopefully this will bring some educational value to all of your audience. Well, you've been really a pioneer in uh, a new delivery route for the posterior segment, which is the suprachoroidal space. And uh, we have one approved indication for it, but there are lots of potential for this as a delivery uh, route. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the suprachoroidal uh, space as a target? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks again, Carmen, for the opportunity to be with you uh, today. I've had the opportunity to work with some of the engineers from Georgia Tech and Emory University for um, nearly 10 years now, uh, thinking about the suprachoroidal space and design elements related to the technology. Uh, the technology, as you may be familiar with, uh, was, was developed by Dr. Hank Edelhauser, Dr. Mark Prausnitz, and Dr. Samir Patel in a collaboration, a very unique collaboration between, between uh, physician scientists as well as uh, engineers. And soon after development of this microneedle technology to take advantage of the supercritical space, they, the, the, the technology was licensed to ClearSide Biomedical. They subsequently uh, moved the technology into phase one, two, and subsequently phase three trials looking at supercritical trimestinal acetonide for the treatment of, of macular edema due to non-infectious uveitis. And as you mentioned, uh, since then, it's moved on and been approved, uh, now known as IPAIR for uh, patients with uveitis to benefit patients' visual acuity and what we see structurally on OCT. So um, why is the suprachoroidal space special? Well, it's unique uh, because, um, as we uh, may, be may be familiar with, it's a potential space and um, during its, uh, it's actually collapsed during physiologic conditions. When medication is introduced into the suprachoroidal space, uh, what some pharmacokinetics have studies have shown, both in basic sciences and reflected in our clinical outcomes, is that there is a high level of medication delivered to the retina of the choroid and a lower level of medication and therapeutics that go to off-target structures, um, i.e. the anterior segment structures that may lead to undesirable side effects, including elevated intraocular pressure and cataract development. And we've seen that, that the rate of IOP elevation is quite favorable. It's about one in seven to one in eight in, uh, across uh, phase three studies and a very low rate of cataract as well in our um, patient's follow-up. So tell us about the phase three results that uh, got Zypir approved. Sure, so there have been um, several phase three studies. The pivotal trial was the Peachtree study, uh, which looked at uh, Zypir for the treatment of macular edema due to non-infectious uveitis. Uh, patients were randomized in a three to two ratio to either study drug uh, given at day zero and week 12 versus sham control. Uh, and patients in both arms were allowed to receive rescue therapy if they had worsening of disease or at the discretion of the investigator. And what was really profound was that the visual acuity outcomes uh, were substantial in terms of improvement. Uh, specifically, nearly 50% of individuals who received the medication had three lines of visual acuity gain. Uh, the mean visual acuity gain across the cohort of individuals who received the study drug was about 14 letters. And this was reflected in the OCT outcomes, which showed about 150 to 160 micron reduction in central subfield thickness. Again, these were patients all who had macular edema 
across multiple um, anatomic subtypes of uveitis, including anterior, intermediate, posterior, and panuveitis. And this was also reflected in the Azalea study, which was a, which was a safety study uh, that the FDA was also interested in looking at. So when you look at the integrated population in aggregate, patients did well from a visual acuity, a macular edema, and also an inflammation standpoint, both within the front of the eye, the anterior chamber, as well as the vitreous cavity as well. So where does supercoroidal steroid administration fit into the treatment algorithm these days? Well, I think it's an exciting development because, as, as we all know, taking care of complex uveitis patients, we really need options for our patients. Um, it's currently indicated for uh, patients with uveitis and macular edema across all anatomic locations, anterior, intermediate, posterior, and panuveitis. I specifically like to use the medication in patients with choroidal involvement, uh, especially some of these refractory cases such as birdshot retinochoroidopathy, uh, patients with, with VKH, uh, multifocal choroiditis. Intermediate uveitis patients also uh, interestingly do very well. Um, in fact, uh, even with this medication delivered into the supercoronal space, when we think about intermediate uveitis as having more vitreous and ciliary body involvement. So is this your first choice? So it, it can be my first choice. It really depends on the degree of inflammation. Uh, for instance, if a patient um, is, is not amenable to an intravitreal or, or intraocular injection, sometimes I'll start with a periocular corticosteroid. I certainly think that topical corticosteroid can also uh, play a role in some patients with more mild macular edema. But in patients with moderate to severe macular edema, I'll start thinking about Zyper as a first, first option. How long does it last? So that's a great question. So for based on our clinical um, study results, uh, we know that patients were saw their, their visual acuity and macular edema outcomes at the six-month endpoint, was, which was three months after their second injection. But when we looked at the Magnolia study, which was a study looking at the durability of the medication, we found, that, found out that individuals who had enrolled um, and actually had gone on for an extended follow-up, about 50% of individuals who received two injections of Zyper were able to go out about nine months after their uh, second injection. So the concept is that in the more severe cases, it may last about three months, but in, in I think in mo moderate or uh, perhaps more mild cases, some of, these, some of the durability signals we may see up to six to nine months. Uh, but as we look forward into uh, post-marketing studies, we'll have a better idea of how long this medication lasts. What's the intraocular pressure story? So it's uh, uh, very important to think about um, side effects and adverse event uh, profile. When we looked at the side effect profile in when comparing the patients who received Zyper versus the sham control, we found that the intraocular pressure elevation was about 13 to 14% in patients who received Zyper and about 15% of patients who are in the sham control arm. But when we look closer at the patients who received the sham control arm, it turns out uh, that patients who had the elevation in intraocular pressure were individuals who had actually received local corticosteroid injection. And it's important to think about that context because of the patients who received local corticosteroid rescue in the sham control arm, about 25% of those patients actually had elevations in intraocular pressure. There hasn't been a head-to-head -head trial that's been, been performed. I think that's something that's in development by a number of uveitis and retina specialists, but um, I think it is quite favorable. Uh, one of the inclusion criteria that's important to think about within the Petri study was that patients could be allowed to have a history of ocular hypertension requiring up to two IOP lowering medications. 
And so I think that there is a role um, in patients who have a history of a steroid response, but I think that caution is always uh, advisable. I certainly wouldn't recommend um, or, or, or use local corticosteroids if I, if I didn't have to in patients who had advanced glaucoma or um, some other concerns where they could potentially have a pressure spike and lose more nerve fiber layer, but very important consideration. What about uh, surgeons that are interested in learning how to do suprachoroidal injections? Tips for them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that with any uh, new technique, I think that it's important that we think about um, the training platform that's um, that's that's been developed. Um, there actually is a very good uh, training platform that's been developed uh, with Bausch and also Radius Direct to where patients are, sorry, um, physicians can learn um, through a virtual um, hybrid and hands-on approach uh, where they actually will receive the kit um, in the mail and have a trainer actually go over the suprachoroidal injection with them. There's also hands-on training that's available. Now, with regards to the procedure itself, it is different than the intravitreal injection where, um, where all of us are certainly very familiar with, in that the supercoronal injection relies on a nuanced approach where after, as you inject the medication into the supercoronal space, you should feel a loss of resistance actually in the barrel of the plunger as you're injecting the medication and injecting it correctly into the supercoronal space. It's very important that the hollow microneedle is perpendicular to the surface, that there's a dimpling of the conjunctiva so that the conjunctiva can actually be spread out on the surface of the sclera to really to ensure that you're taking advantage of the full length of this uh, a very fine tipped uh, microneedle, which is 900 microns uh, in length. There is a longer microneedle that's 1100 microns um, as well um, that certainly can be um, switched to if needed if a patient has a, a bit uh, thicker sclera. So this delivery system is now being looked at other aspects of retinal pharmacotherapy. Can you comment on them? Sure. So there are a number of trials um, that are underway. Um, there's a trial that's looking at gene therapy um, in, 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 it's instilled in the suprachoroidal space uh, for uh, both uh, diabetic macular edema as well as, sorry, diabetic retinopathy as well as age-related macular degeneration. Um, as we think about choroidal physiology, there's another trial that's ongoing uh, for the treatment of um, ocular tumors. And this medication is also looked at being looked at globally for other indications where we know that corticosteroids can have effect, um, including diabetic macular edema in Asia as well. And so I think that there is a lot of promise in this uh, drug delivery platform. And I think that as, as we continue to see these medications move forward to uh, phase two, uh, phase three studies, I think it will be important to continue for, for all of us to continue to learn and really master this technique. Good. So thanks so much for your time today, Steve. Thank thanks, Carmen. Thanks for your pioneering work. This has turned out to be a very important contribution to the new world of retinal pharmacotherapy. Thanks, Carmen. It's great to be with you today.